Hey, Gabriel Blake. Hey, Gabriel Jose. I don't know if I should keep asking these, but where are we today? I feel like we might want to retire that question because I'm still in San Francisco and you're still in Chicago, Chicago. and it seems yeah. like that's how things will be from now on. Well, but I, I want, I want like the audience, you know, like those four people that listen to us, is that to actually just get in the comfort zone about like, this is always going to be the answer. So when you come to visit soon, let's hope, is that they're going to be like mind blown. You know, they're going to be like, oh my God. What? Well, yeah. it's in Chicago. Exactly, it's, it's amazing. And the thing is that they're not going to be able to listen to anything because we're going to be in a dive bar. And he said, the audience is going to be terrible. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we're still like Midwest, West Coast connection. Uh, and what did we watch today? Today we watched the 1981, I would argue, cult classic, just for its reputation. I, we won't say what that reputation is, but the 1981 Faye Dunaway film, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mommy Dearest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is a movie that you already watched before. I watched it as a, at my best recollection, I, I think I was like 14, 15, I saw it on like AMC, or maybe Turner Classics. Watched it and I was like, oh, that's a pretty good movie. And I was proud of myself for watching like an ancient film. It was because even in color. Up until I was like 23, I really didn't like movies made before 1990. I'm embarrassed to admit that, but yeah. Well, but that's the reason why one of your favorite movies was Magnolia. Uh, my favorite movie was Magnolia. <laughs> <laughs> it was, okay, it was like the pantheon of the movies, and there was only one movie, was Magnolia, because lasting three hours, there was no room for anything else. Yep, I just okay. watched it over and over and over. God. Uh... Oh, you watched like the whole thing, not only like the scene where Julianne Moore like suck my dick. That scene and the scene where Tom Cruise does a somersault in tidy whities and he has a magnificent bulge that I admired greatly. <laughs> okay, that has to be like one of the gayest things that we have ever said in a podcast. <laughs> but uh, why, why did you make us watch this? I so again I watched it as a teenager and I thought it was a pretty good movie um only years later did I discover that it won the golden raspberry for the worst film of the year in 1981 the, uh, the golden raspberry the worst they give awards you know the are uh, no yeah 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 the official name is the golden raspberries okay uh, and so it won the worst film in 1981 and then in 1990 it won the worst film of the decade and then <laughs> Recently, I saw a review that referred to it as the Citizen Kane of bad movies. And while this podcast does not focus on bad movies, you and I both share an adoration for, like, showgirls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like, well, personally, I like movies that they are so bad that they're hilarious. So the hate watching part, you know, but it's like, I make fun of the movie while I'm watching it. So the thing is like uh, when you told me about like that quote about like this that the citizen came of other movies, I have to ask you, what do you understand by that? I thought honestly that it was going to be so bad I was going to be laughing the entire time and enjoying myself so much. Exactly. I, I imagine showgirls with fake Dunaway. <laughs> <laughs> And I was completely down for that ride, you know? Uh, what I found was slightly different, let's just say. It's, it's unexpected. I will say that I do find the statement that it's the Citizen Kane of bad movies to be accurate. Um, Why? That being said, because this is probably the... 
it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. I've seen like Bring It On Three. So, um, but it's it's spectacular and exceptional in that it was a major studio film. All right. I can't think of like a studio film that had millions of dollars invested into it and it's this bad. Like somebody at that studio was like, yes, let's put this in theaters and that dude or that woman should be fired. <laughs> Someone read that script. Someone <laughs> read like, that script yeah. and green lighted it. Let's you know? make this a movie. Get Faye Dunaway on the phone. And this well, I don't I don't want to get like there yet. Let me let me just summarize first. Because I have like just already like some thoughts. Let's we will get to them. But um, as is my turn to summarize it, I would just say that this is like a biopic based on uh, memories from the daughter of John Crawford, the adopted daughter of John Crawford. Uh, and basically follows the life of John Crawford since he decides, we don't know what year is he, like probably early 60s. What year she died? No, no, no. What year the story starts in? Um, it had to be, yeah, 40s, 50s. No, yeah. no, yeah. So she decides to adopt a kid. I mean, the thing is that it's very interesting because there is never like too much guidance about what year it is. Is that they are like time jumps, you know, like time skips. They never address them. Is that you can only realize that they are time skips because the actors and actresses they have like more greens, more makeup. Um, maybe the kids grew up. Maybe maybe because i will get to that later so uh it follows that one day john crawford realizes that there is something missing in her life and that thing missing is a baby but she cannot carry babies she cannot carry the fruit in her womb because she actually had like seven miscarriages in yeah. the past so she's 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 barren uh but i i want to call it here that she didn't want a baby because she wanted a kid she wanted an accessory well, she felt like she needed something and then talking with her lawyer uh, boyfriend, let's say. Yeah, whatever. Greasy Hollywood guy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he says that it would be pretty good for advertisement too. I see and Sap acknowledge that, yeah, it would be good for advertisement, you know. But initially, it looks like she really wants the baby because she has some kind of mother is thinking. Now, this is one of the things about this movie is like the, the the movie does like a terrible job about developing characters is like they are no like multi-dimensional characters is that they are like just flat it's a bit more like and things happen it's not about like just developing the characters as a multifaceted entity so she wants a baby i would argue there is literally this isn't me being superlative zero character development there is nothing to shed a light on any of these people nope. and i do want to just chime in um tina crawford was born in 1939 so this starts in the late 30s and wow. in the 70s yeah well she does uh so the story follows like the initial nice relationship that they have well or we suppose uh then we see that john crawford adapts adopts another baby because now she cannot stop she has to cut them all uh that is called christopher i think the first and one does it really matter because that character disappears nothing. Nothing. it completely disappears for half of the movie is a, is a okay your trauma is a, it's pretty obvious that this is based in a memoir from the daughter because the, the song has disappeared completely the, 
it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if how he treats him or you know whatever trauma he had or anything. Is that we even saw him like just getting attached to the bed? I don't think that they never say why. So that scene and when he offers to help Tina clean up the bathroom yeah. floor in the middle of the night. That's why I think that character existed. Those two scenes. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, you were saying earlier that he's like the kid, sort of like a. Uh, John Crawford adopts Christina as an accessory to her life, but is a, the existence of Christopher is an accessory to Christina. Yep, it's it's almost she doing the same on the memoir if it's actually you know accurate the memoir to the uh, you know to the movie. I mean, so there's there's two things at play here. One, this is the saddest, not the saddest. It's one of the saddest upbringing that a child can experience and it apparently happened and the way they portray it is the worst way they could have portrayed this yeah so the, the center character is mostly John Crawford and then Christina is just there on the receiving end you know so it actually just follows like how she gets fired from the Metro Golden Mayor uh, and she's like depressed then she has like another career then her career ends again you know with another student there was the Warner it ends again she marries like the uh, CEO of PepsiCo and they have like a new life and you know it's, uh, she gets sent to a boarding school because she tries to peek into her mother having sex and then she freaks out so or not we don't know everything everything is so random every single motivation every single like explosion of the character story is like so random that it's like i i don't know what i was watching it's like i was watching a train wreck but it was a train wreck that i didn't even want to watch if it was not for the podcast i wouldn't have finished watching it yeah just in terms of pure storytelling this is the least cohesive film i've ever seen nothing was connected it was almost like a series of shitty vignettes Correct. that weren't connected at all and i didn't care about a single one of them with the exception of her telling off the board of the, the chairman of the board at the pepsico yep. like that scene i found it super amusing uh i found it amusing but i found it like from a different movie i found it is like, look this doesn't have to do anything with the rest is that like most of the story is like always always christine tina and John in the room and John Crawford doing something terrible to her and now we have this scene is like are you trying to develop the character now are you trying to give me like some kind of insight of the psyche of this character is like what is the point I have already watched this like for 90 minutes and I will say if that was the point they failed again because we got we understand she's a bitch we get it <laughs> yeah yeah but it's like it's not like a good bitch it's not I, I don't know is that the characters I couldn't develop any kind of empathy with them is like, I didn't care about the daughter is like I at the beginning I was like just trying to show some kind of empathy for her but like poor thing you know when they have like the competition more competition when they uh John Crawford like challenged Tina to swim faster he's like what a bitch you know like, that's not the way of bringing a kid and then was like I don't care it's like nothing of this feels realistic in any kind the of girl way. was like five and yeah. her mother was like challenger challenging her to swim races which obviously the girl lost mm -hmm. But it's just, it's not even like, it doesn't even make you feel anything. The one time that I felt something was when she's being driven to boarding school after the... Yeah, the incident, yeah. Uh, when the girl is just begging, please, whatever I did wrong, I will never do it again. Like that, that 
that hurt my little heart, even though I'm dead inside. I was like, that's an abused child and this is horrible. Yeah, it's an abused child and it still wants to just stay, you know, with the mother because it's a toxic relationship. But at the same time, it's like she knew what she was doing, you know, that there is this, the title of the movie comes from the perspective that John Crawford tells her that like, you have to call me mommy be rest. You know, as she starts using it in a bit more of a rage. This started... is not the kid's fault. This is not the kid's fault in any way, shape, or form. Okay, it's not. I'm not blaming. It's like nothing that she did actually does justify. It's like just dumping her in a boarding school. Nothing. Okay. But what I'm saying is like the characters are... The, the writing is so poor and the motivations are so random that it's like, it doesn't matter if it is something or not for justifying it. Because there is no reason behind on how the characters behave. Is that this is probably one of the worst scripts that I ever seen in a movie. The worst. I don't disagree with you. I, I was blown away at how bad this movie yeah. is. It's, it's, I would say that it's more or less at the same level as the role of being completely incongruent. I would agree with you. It's just that the room is entertaining. <laughs> because, well, <laughs> because the thing is that they, I mean, it's true that he put like a lot of heart and it was garbage and probably they would have actually just realized that they were doing garbage, you know? But this tries to be serious and it's like, when you actually look at Faye Dunaway, like freaking out with the wire hangers and we have like a 10 minute scene of, you know, like just directly beating a kid, it's so over the top. The acting is so bizarre that it's like people should have realized it's like this is this is not good. It's not good. And we're not talking about like this is not good for the 80s. It's like this is terrible. And we I told you before the uh, the beginning of this podcast that is that it made me think of Sunset Boulevard. You know, it made me think from the perspective that this is a big studio making a movie about an actress that is like being forgotten, you know, and living on the side. I think that Sunset Boulevard does an amazing job about developing the characters and driving them somewhere. Is that this they don't have any idea about to, what to do with them, but they try to use like some of the histrionic acting that they had in Sunset Boulevard. At that point, it's when I feel is that there are scenes that I could actually almost like translate one to one. Like the acting on this scene is the same as the acting on this other scene on Mummy Dearest. And that is scene with the white hangers, there is, okay, I can see like Gloria Swanson like just freaking out and just like doing something crazy but here it feels out of place it feels like there was a motivation for her she was like a theater actress you know during, and that turned into the silent movies you know like actress like a star and it's like she only knew to behave in that way and now when you're like placing Faye Dunaway acting in this way as John Crawford that it was not a silent era actress is like this makes no sense is that there is no reason for being like so over the top at all and it's it's very interesting because Joan Crawford is a big studio actress mm -hmm. she died an incredible celebrity everyone knew her she died in 1977 yeah. this film was released in 1981 by a major studio yeah. which blows my mind this like beloved actress yes she was a shitty human being but she was you know the the silver screen star of her time they waited just four years not even four years from the time they started filming to release what i think is just a hit piece from a studio that's like hey she was a shitty person here here's who joan crawford really was but they didn't even do it well 
No, I mean, it, it almost feels like a, you say like a hate piece, no? Hit, hit piece, which means to try and take them out, destroy their reputation. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it feels like that, but it's like, who, what was the studio behind this movie? And that's one thing I wanted to say is that it's paramount. We, we are removed by, I think, two or three generations from from Joan Crawford's universe, right? Yeah. I think if we had been born in, I don't know, 1950, 1960, the names they drop in this film would mean a lot. We would understand, yeah. oh, that was an important studio guy. Oh, this happened. And we're missing out on a lot of that. But clearly there's something here from a studio that just wanted to just destroy her reputation. I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, like the book, like the memoir was like the biggest best-selling book in, in, I don't know, in 20 years. And they were actually just competed for just getting this. And now it's Paramount. And the two studios that I mentioned is Warner Bros. and Metropolitan. This was like a So maybe Paramount was just like, fuck you two. Exactly. <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, she died like recently. He's like, I don't want you to do any kind of re-release and just making money. It's like going to be like doing something that is going to be like blocking you from doing anything. I'm pretty sure that the biggest studios, like probably like Warner and Metro Golden Major, trying to get like the license, you know, like the, the rights for an adaptation and never adapting it. Yeah, I would believe that. And what I was saying about us missing out by not being part of that generation, in my mind, this is like if Angelina Jolie's adopted kid wrote a nasty memoir and then they made a movie into it. I mean, I think that's how culturally impactful yeah. these memoirs were, but I don't know because we're too True. young. Yeah, so. uh, exactly. We're too young. <laughs> but uh, everything from a technical perspective on this movie is garbage. Just let me disagree with you. I found the opening sequence brilliant. When she wakes up, she has the alarm clock, everything she goes through and does her washing routine. Like that was a setup to an interesting film, in my opinion. Everything is art deco. She has the, the ice. Like that was a very nice setup to a film. After that, everything is shit. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's say in a movie that didn't last more than two hours, let's not forget this, is that if we remove the first two minutes. Everything from a technical perspective is garbage. It's like the acting from Faint Dunaway is ridiculous. It's just terrible. It's like it's I rarely say this, but it's a bit more like by comparison, but the best actress is the little girl, Christina. Like the, the young version, as they have like three different actresses like playing her. It's like that one I felt is that like, okay, it's good. I actually was talking uh I was watching it with someone and I was asking if he had any kind of opinion about it and he says look the thing that I found fascinating is like the character everything is like so poorly written that was he's uh, a toddler I don't know like seven eight years old is like her character is the only one that makes any kind of sense everyone else around her don't is that they, they are behaving like random random entities you know when she actually is a bit more adult about like just doing reflections about like what is going on here like when he says like mom you cannot compete with me when you are like so big you know compared with who i am he's like well i guess that life is not fair that's a lesson that you have to learn he's like well then i don't want to play with you yeah no i 
I agree and I hesitate because that scene was particularly like harmful because they do race and obviously the little girl loses and she said I'm bigger than you I'm faster than you and I will will always be be. and you see this little girl completely devastated but that's the part that is like a part of me feels like there is quite a bit of a imagination to this story I assume that this book was released after John Crawford died I would love to know because I don't think possibly that girl would have had the strength to release this while Joan Crawford was alive because she was a she was basically her bitch through her entire <laughs> life yeah uh, so I don't know I'm not saying and I don't really care you know I care about like, the end of what so her memoir okay so Joan Crawford died 1977 the memoir came out in 1978 and the movie was 1981. This was just to assassinate Joan Crawford's reputation. This Correct. is it. But they yeah. didn't do it well. Well, I mean, they did it. If it actually had like a box office of 19 million, is that they did it well enough. You know, it actually attracted people to the cinema. You know, that's true. Um, so from that perspective, is like we all think about like a, I don't know, like Golden Age actresses. Is that they mentioned? Uh, Ingrid Berman, you know, is that we remember about her. Um, like Garbo and the likes, is like we still remember her. John Crawford is not named that often. It's interesting because it is a household name, in my opinion. But just before we started recording, we both looked up her IMDb. Yeah. You had seen one film of hers? I think so, yeah. That, uh... And I haven't seen anything, um, which is very interesting because she ended up actually being irrelevant like they didn't have to make this movie time was going to take care of that <laughs> well because uh, cinema sensitivity like changed quite a bit and i think that for us and just correct me if i'm wrong is like we don't buy into the star system is that the star system was based into it doesn't matter who is the director it's about like who the actors and actresses are you know and i think that we focus more on the director more than the actors that's true. That's true. Yeah. So for us, it's like we never watch anything because most of the directors that they were working, and that's the reason why we were talking with Billy Wilder before we started recording, is that most of the directors on the on the big studio Golden Age era, they were just accessories about like, hey, look, we have this script, you're going to be like, directing it, and these are the actors and actresses. We decide everything for you. You don't have any kind of voice. And Billy Wilder was challenging that. I agree with you, and I think that um, while you really like the the Silver Age, like how do you refer to that time, like the mm-hmm. the Golden Age of Hollywood of, yeah. of the silver screen, yeah, we really don't go back and watch like the big hits of the time. It's what <laughs> what has stood the test of time, and apparently not much from from Joan Crawford has stood the test of time. I could be completely wrong. This could be just a gap in my knowledge of film history but I feel like nothing of her of her work ended up being timeless uh, I think that we will have to actually rewatch a bit you know it's like I know that the one that I watch for sure is uh, whatever happened to uh, to Baby Jane and that was and that's good. a film I've heard of for sure um, yeah but it's like, besides that it's exactly what they describe it's like she was a star on the studio system you know, is I see what like the kind of person that it would be like attracting someone. It would be 
I don't want to say this, please don't take it like in a literal way, but it's a, it was like the Vin Diesel of the 40s or the Dwayne Johnson, the Dwayne Johnson of the 40s. That is so like that's Dwayne a Johnson. Or comparison. From the perspective, it is like Dwayne Johnson is in a movie and it attracts people. It's a, it gives you like a guarantee to some people, not to us. That is like it's some kind of guarantee that it's going to be an enjoyable movie, you know, with some action and some elements that I really like. And I think that she connected with what the audience wanted, you know. She was portraying like a type of role. Oh, she was. No? I was that one, at least. <laughs> as a chariot race spectator so i think she was an extra <laughs> it was uncredited man <laughs> that's uh, um, yeah i had to say i have to say that there is even like a meta a meta part on this movie that i found like fascinating but also at the same time like even more insulted about it when uh John Crawford, when Finn Dunaway playing John Crawford, is complaining about like the studio only gives them like serious scripts. And he's like, is this some kind of self-reflection about Faith Dunaway where her career is right now? About like you are doing this and you are like a woman at a specific age that is like Hollywood just discards women after 40. They said you are dead to us. They said there are no roles for you. Like, you're, she you was know. doing an assassination piece of basically herself she's Correct. like perpetuating this yep. like misogynistic like ageist oh yeah. god yeah. i hate this movie i hate everything about this <laughs> i feel it's like wow this is this is pretty wrong in several layers that's the reason what i was telling you is like there are like several levels here of uh wow wow no one no one really like thought about this also i have to say i don't usually pay attention to this the editing on this movie is garbage everything everything was garbage there is like a lot of scenes that they last like longer than they should you know it's like what do you have like three seconds like just i mean the first time that i mentioned it it was like uh when they're on the birthday party the first time that we see like the uh six-year-old christina and there is like this uh, photographer that said i'm going to be like taking a picture of you and he said he's like oh i'm going to be taking a picture of you and then like three seconds that the camera focus on the journalist and he's like, why? Why are we seeing this for three seconds? <laughs> and then they move I, to John Crawford. Yeah, and they move to John Crawford. She says something, and then there is like a weird face that she does, and the camera stays there for two more seconds. He's like, what are we doing here? It's like, who, who, who edited this? Did he fall asleep? Well, I can't argue with the fact that this had a $10 million budget and it made $19 million, but I feel if they had let a decent editor anywhere near this, it would have been like a concise 90 minutes. We could have seen the crazies. We could have seen the, the suffering children. There was no reason. What was it? Two hours and eight minutes? Two hours and seven? Too long. Just too long. Too long of complete nonsense with not a single scene connecting with another scene. It's, yeah. Honestly, it's, it's, the reason what I was asking you is that I don't even have like a time frame reference of like what point in time they are because there is not even like anything on the house that it would indicate this in the 30s this in the 40s this in the 50s nothing absolutely I nothing the, i think the first time we get a sense of how much time has passed or not passed is when tina comes back from well again is it boarding school is it college we don't know we just know she grew like two feet and she's yep. talking about school. <laughs> it's insane 
It's no, it's terrible. The script is the script. It almost feels like, dude, this is the first draft that someone did. But the first draft is, I'm going to be putting the elements that needs to be on the movie, and then I'm going to be making out of this a story with several reviews of this, you know, like revisions of this. They never did that. They just stopped there. It honestly made me seriously want to read the Tina's memoirs to see is are the are they as bad? Like, is that I, why the so bad look they're like two potential albums that they are equally bad or even worse you know that is like just a bit more of a how do you say like dysfunctional alcohol fuel memoir let's say it can be one of the outcomes and then the other outcome that is, that is actually significantly better what did you win in either of those cases that you cannot get with just reading a review online uh, the answer is nothing besides over two hours of like confusion and like desperately grasping for something of value. <laughs> but you already got that. I mean, like just reading the book that you could be like investing, let's say, like 15, oh. 20 hours. So the only thing I could get from the book is understanding what I'm guessing are pretty influential characters from major studio heads in the film. Like, I want to know that drama that she was clearly involved in when when she goes to dinner with her boyfriend and the studio head insists they have dinner and she doesn't want to. Like, you can tell there's a lot of backstory there that they weren't able to convey in the film. That's what I could get out of the memoirs. I will not read them. But I don't think that you will ever get that. You know, it's like because that is seen as is like the memoirs from her, from the daughter, is like it's not about John Crawford. That's true. Is like so that is seen and the scene when she actually sits down on the table with the PepsiCo board of directors, is like they 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 have no meaning. They are like random. It's like it actually just is part of another biopic that it never happened. Now I'm wondering if those were like completely fictional scenes that the, the screenwriters maybe. wrote in. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was the point. Maybe that was the second revision about like, oh, we need to add like more character to John Crawford, you know? We're we need to, to see her that. being a bitch, not just to her kids, but to exactly. the entire board of PepsiCo. <laughs> Honestly, this has been this per this movie just personally offended me because it was like as I was telling you before we started recording this, this is like the dying man fart of a movie of the studio system is that this like it comes from the studio system it criticizes the studio system but it's still part of it you use Faye Dunaway that is like part of the system is they what and I like, I mean, I, I don't like the studio system, but it's like, I like that kind of golden age, you know, a bit more melodrama, and you use quite a bit of those elements, but using so poorly that this is like the, the, the cheapest way that you could actually have made this movie. I, I agree with you. And I, if I take like four steps back and think, what was trying to be achieved here? Was it like an interesting story? Was it to expose somebody? Is it to, I don't know, educate people on the dangers of growing up in the Hollywood sphere. I don't know. And it didn't achieve anything. It, this was, this is like, imagine a wet blanket wrapped, being wrapped in a wet blanket. <laughs> That's what this felt like. Two hours of being wrapped in a wet blanket, being uncomfortable, not, yep. not having any fun. I, I don't get it. Yeah, honestly, when you were mentioning this, a cult classic is that I cannot imagine anyone 
watching this voluntarily nowadays. You will watch like the snip, you know, like the parts that they are hilarious, you know, but everything else is. I'm giving away one of the questions is that I would never subject myself or anyone else to questions for the price of one to this. So I'm going to come and see you in roughly a month, month and a half. I would happily watch Showgirls with you twice. Okay. okay. I would enjoy it. Okay. I will never happily watch this film again. Never. No. Happily or sadly or any kind of other emotion. You know, it's Not like there happen. is no, it's like this is something kind of, it's almost like my survival instinct kicking in. It's like I'm never watching this again. It's like if it starts like showing up on the screen, I will run away. You know, it's like no 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 no. I, I cannot. I cannot put myself through this again. But yeah. Should we go over the questions? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we just in this here. Nobody should spend any more time on Mommy Dearest. Okay, let's let's do it. Let's do it fast. Would you watch it again? The honest the honest answer is yes, because in 15 years I'll forget how bad it is and I'll be like, oh let's watch Mommy Dearest. I'm gonna say no, but probably yes. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be like yes. Uh probably yes. I'm going to leave an out here. Uh for me it's absolutely rotundly no. I tend to like bad movies, you know, in a bit more of a guilty pleasure kind of way. And I like movies that they were not intentionally bad. This is non-intentionally bad. There is no fucking way that I'm going to ever be watching this. Yeah, no, put no for me. I mean, you may actually give it another try, but yeah. Uh, could you recommend it? I would just say this because I already said it earlier, no. So I would honestly, if I found somebody at a bar who was a piece of shit to me, I'd be like, oh my God, have you seen this movie, Mommy Dearest? I would genuinely recommend it to punish someone. Okay. Would I recommend someone looking for a good movie? Never. Okay. Blake, I have to tell you this as your gay bro. And this is going to be like getting a bit personal. But if you're going to be like recommending a movie to someone and you think that they're going to be like watching it, is because they, albeit they may be like terrible human beings, they appreciate your opinion. And if they appreciate your opinion, I think that you're not going to be like hating them enough for recommending them this. Fine, fine. <laughs> no, I won't recommend it. <laughs> okay. Uh, could you remember it? I mean, no. This is such a, a completely scrambled mess. There's no like sensical plot. No. Like, we will both remember the scene where she freaks out about wire hangers. That's it. That's what we'll remember. (laughs) That scene is amazing. I was mentioning you earlier. There is this bar, Sidetrack in Chicago, that is supposedly where the musical Mondays started. That is like they just play musicals and people sing along. And this is more hardcore than DH musical Mondays where they have like the subtitles and everything. Here, they don't have subtitles and people know all the numbers. And it looks like they actually play that scene of the wire hangers and people quote unquote sing along. So is that that's how memorable that city scene was. But now if I'm going to be like remembering, is like I don't think so. You're absolutely right. It's, like, it's such a mess that I would remember it in a way of a cautionary tale for myself about like don't watch this again. Why is it like, because it's garbage? Why is it like, I don't know, but it was garbage. I don't need to confirm it again. I was trying to think of the most extreme scenes in the film, and spoiler alert, there's adult Tina that Joan Crawford tries to strangle. Oh, yeah. 
I'm not going to remember that in like two days. Like, it's so forgettable. Everything is so forgettable. Yeah, it's... Yeah. It's, I don't know how they actually made... Because it, it looks believable, the kind of fight that they have. You know, it gets like yeah. really violent, really physical. Um, Lots of glass. Yeah, and I didn't care at all. I didn't care. <laughs> I was like, is this movie almost over? That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, it's what I was thinking too. But the point is, is that is that they fight for almost a minute, you know? And, <laughs> yeah, and no one comes to stop them. You know, it's, like, it's just like, but there was a journalist there. What is he doing? He's like just taking like notes on the uh, typewriting machine. And then Joan Crawford gripped her daughter's neck. Exactly. Yeah. Dear readers, you won't believe what I have, to, what I'm like witnessing right now. Uh, so it's just bizarre, but in a way that is not memorable. Yep. So is there anything artistic about it? Absolutely fucking not. I mean, I really wanted there to be something, something to be like, this is what makes this bad movie good. And there's nothing, nothing. Well, you see that they open missing. That was super tightly directed. Honestly, I know you don't like Requiem for a Dream, but you know the like the quick cut that I liked so much when they did drugs, they showed the eye, the pupils. Oh, yeah. I felt like it was that powerful for me. I like understood immediately this character is fucked up and anal retentive. Like I I was excited to see more. And I was went, not excited to see what I actually saw. <laughs> it went down the drain like, right away. Uh yeah, I think I think that this was directed as I was telling you, it's like from the studio system. It's like this is the kind of movie that it would be forgettable on the 40s. You know, that it would be like just it would be the kind of weekly movie that they just put out, you know? And I think that the directing is like at best it was aiming to be functional, but everything about it was terrible terrible and no it was not functional directing like as you mentioned scenes linger too long there's like scenes with literally nothing happening no yeah no it's, it's just terrible uh is it a timeless piece <laughs> this i would arguably answer yes it's timeless in that it was shitty in 1981 and it's shitty in 2021 <laughs> I was thinking it from that perspective, but at the same time, I just feel there. I cannot say yes to this. I mean, for me, it's like this feels like a bad, really bad movie from the eighties, trying to emulate being from the fifties or forties. This is the most ambiguous question we have, and we answer according to different parameters each time. I, I'm just gonna say no because nobody should ever watch this movie. No, <laughs> like whether you're born now, 2051, don't watch this. No, actually, I think that you had like a good point earlier when you were saying that it's like if we were in the Joan Cranford world, if we actually were younger, if we were like just 30 or 40 when this was released in the 80s, we have getting like something different that doesn't translate to nowadays. Exactly. It would be like... That's uh, timely. Not about the Angelina Jolie and the uh, Brad yeah. Pitt scandal and how did Jennifer Aniston feel and what did the studio execs do? So, yes, it's timely. Yeah lost a lot by watching it 40 years later i don't think so <laughs> you know i think that it's, like, it's easier to actually be more objective with it and just see for the piece of garbage that it is uh but yeah i fully agree that like, this is completely timely you know that like, you have getting like different value you have watched it then but by nowadays standards it's like 
there is no reason for what it should not exist yeah is that you could say that it's like well but it explores the a mother-daughter toxic relationship is that but it doesn't do it well no it really doesn't it's a piece of shit yeah uh (laughs) just turn this into a tv show no (laughs) if i had any power i would shorten it to like 90 minutes maybe an hour and 15. that's what i would do with this film yeah, I feel like is that there is no reason why making this torture any longer. Uh, do you think that this movie could have been better? So we obviously have a lot of complaints um, about the film, but I don't think there's any way to save. There's no way to save this. You would have to start from scratch, ignore Christina's memoirs, and write a completely different script. Like this is a set. No. No. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that is that there is no way of making this movie in '81 any better. Is I think that they could have because making not about like drunk folk. Is that you don't have to be like just root in reality or anything. Is that just if you want to make a story about like a toxic relationship with a daughter, you know? Is that just do it about that? Don't have to just hook it into the memoir. Or you could go the other way, whereas Joan Crawford had an interesting career. So, like, the only actual, like, role that they mention in the film is Mildred Pierce, which had a revival with Kate Winslet. Like, if they have dived into the details of her actual life, that could have been more interesting, but they didn't. They didn't look at her as, like, a multifaceted human being. They were just like, let's make her look like a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. That was everything. Uh, so I think that that's yeah that's the last question so should we score this we should and I haven't thought about a score up until I, this I, I have thought about it but I need to ask you something is like what is our scale because I was checking is that the lowest score that we have is a 1 and the highest is a 10 what did we give a 1 to you gave it to uh, to the room, the room? yeah Okay, so my my initial score is it me first? No, no, no. Yeah, no this was my yeah, but that's the reason what I'm asking is like, what is the lowest? Because if, if the lowest is a one, this is a one. If the lowest is a zero, this is a zero point twenty five. The lowest is zero. Okay, zero point five. I'm not going yeah, to get that's, a, that's my exact score. My, my initial idea was a one because I thought that was pretty damn low. <laughs> But if I gave the room a one, this is a 0.5, and maybe not even that. Like, this could be a zero. There's nothing, nothing redeeming about this film. Well, the thing is that those scenes that they are like so overactive is that they're hilarious. They're not intentional hilarious, but they're hilarious. Is that there was, at the beginning of the movie, I was actually having high hopes about like this going to be so bad that it's good that uh, when the, uh, the boyfriend arrives and Joan Crawford, that he has like a dozen of. Uh, of servants in the house of help is that she's actually teaching them how to clean the house and then the guy arrives and he's like, she's like you have to remove your uh, your shoes he said oh do you want me to remove the socks too he said i can handle the shoes and there is this kind of innuendo like very like tacky innuendo that is like the uh caroline that is like the main helper he's like, he's like Ooh. And then there's this tackiest scene that she's like in front of three different showers, but she's completely dry. There is a... <laughs> what is happening here? That was so bizarre. I was like, did multiple shower faucets exist before like 1990? Because I feel like that's a new thing. 
exactly. uh, well but that's the thing is i guess this is completely detached from time is that you don't know if it's the 30s because that's supposed to be the 30s at that point yeah it is like the late 30s like yep. pre the end of world war ii correct which they don't even address that oh no is is the reason what i think that is like i don't think that even checking the book would be worth it you know because i think that this is like just based almost like as close as possible and the book may be like just very light into my mother was abusive that's it and it also feels like hey my mom died she didn't leave me any money oh, I feel hey, that. i'm gonna yep. write a book and i had to write it before my brother and i'm going to be like basically mention my brother at all you know there's so much to unpack with this film but nothing, nothing good of value nothing <laughs> worthwhile there's just a lot of shit here uh i would say that there was a part that i found hilarious you know about like okay this is almost like soap opera level there's another meta point when the uh, the girl gets like a, a tumor like a benign tumor <laughs> yeah, and she, she goes to the hospital cast in like a, a tv series or a film and she gets sick yeah, and then uh, she goes to the hospital, she has to stay there for some days. So uh, the producer of the show is going to be like, is visiting the hospital and Joan Crawford just intercepts her and says like, well, she's going to be here for a while. Is this going to be a problem for it? And the next scene is basically Joan Crawford playing her daughter role in the soap opera. Which was so fucking absurd. It's not believable at all that I thought this must have actually happened because this is weirder than like real life <laughs> but that part i feel is that okay this this is good but i didn't really develop it too much you know it's a bit more like, okay this feels like a comedy sketch you know but is they also like linger too much i think that is okay this is the kind of thing that the daughter could have addressed about like are you jealous of my career that is taking off or, or what is going on but also she she gets sick she gets hospitalized within a day or two the producer comes the mom takes her place and then for whatever reason the role that tina was given is on tv like they're not in rehearsals they're not well because they're... the thing is like at that point in time is i think that it was like pretty common for soap operas like being live recorded on live stream Oh, it was a soap opera. I, I didn't quite understand what role she had. Okay, that makes yeah. more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She mentioned it earlier that she was like just casted for a soap opera for a small role, blah, blah, blah. And it's like live television. A 28-year-old? So like, a 28-year-old. Where the mother is like 56 or 60. I'm literally getting upset at this film. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, when I watched it, I felt like just, this is basically is making me agree a bit more with Blake and his dislike, his disdain about the uh, Golden Age of Hollywood because he tries to be a Golden Age movie. But also this came out in 1981, which is not the Golden Age of anything. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. But it's like at the same time, he tries to actually reflect all the Golden Age. It's like he's actually recorded with the acting, similar acting, similar, similar producing, you know, to the, uh, to the 50s, you know? the 40s and 50s so from that perspective i feel is that you're trying to do not really a self-reflection because you're like really focused on destroying the image of this woman but at the same time is that you're using the resources from the time in a very poor way so i feel like i feel like personally offended i feel like personally insulted like this movie is insulting me directly 
I do want to say that I can absolutely see the difference between the golden age of Hollywood and this film. Yes, it tried to replicate it, but I would never even put in the same, like, universe Sunset Boulevard in this film. Thank God, because otherwise that this call would have ended at this point. Uh, but yeah, so, as this was your pick, and I'm trying to be judgmental when I say that, uh, the next one I wanted, we discussed like multiple different directions of how I would go, but I want to cleanse my palate, you know, and just like, I don't know, improve the reputation of big studio kind of thing, kind of movie. Uh, and I going to go with the movie with the best script ever, according to adaptation. So according to Charles Kaufman, maybe in an ironic way, I don't know. Uh, that is Casablanca. Which is fine by me. <laughs> I like your pause. I, uh, it's fine. I, I'm looking forward to discussing it with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I watched it a couple of times. I wonder how it ages. Yeah, let's hold off on any discussion until next week. Okay, All right, sounds good. Uh, anything else to say about Mommy Dearest? Yes, I have one question for you. After we have both spent more than two hours of our life watching this film, do you agree with that statement that this is the Citizen Kane of bad movies? I still... I, I thought about it like for a very long time, about, like, okay, what is he trying to reflect? Because Citizen Kane was... It's not a perfect film. I love it, you know, but it was trying to be groundbreaking, you know, in some aspects, you know, the cinematography, for example, is very groundbreaking. The narrative style is pretty groundbreaking. There is nothing groundbreaking even as a bad movie. I don't think it was meant to be groundbreaking. I think they were saying Citizen Kane is one of the greatest films of all time. This is one of the worst films of all time. That's what I think the reference is. Okay, so basically it's like when you're talking about like good cinema, Citizen Kane is always going to come up in a list yeah. of 10 movies, even if it's not the first one, because Casablanca usually is higher. Uh, but what we are saying is that if there is a list of the 10 worst movies of all time, this is going to be like close is to Is this that. always going to be on that list of 10? The thing is that as we said that it's not memorable. As I told you, is that this movie, it would only be remembered by me if it needs to kick my survival instinct. You know, if God someone... Damn you. Because I would have said, yes, this would be always on the list of the worst. No, it's so forgettable. It will never be on the list. I mean, it's basically like if someone tells me, I like, used to watch Mommy the Rest, it's like, fuck you, man. Fuck you. He said, don't talk to me. Is that you're dead to me from this point on. That's, that's the reason why you would actually just remember it. But it's not something, someone asked me, it's like, what are the 10 worst movies of all time? Is that I would say like many other movies. I would say The Room. Like, like way- Showgirls, The Room, Clueless for you, right? Uh, yeah, no, Clueless is also like pretty forgettable. No, but you know, it's like, I would just bring up like the Roland Emmerich movies, like Independence Day and the likes. Yeah. And all the catastrophes movies. But is that this one is like, is not, but good enough. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So I think that it's a bit more dramatized. That part is that it's true that it's like one of the worst movies that I've ever seen in my life, but it's not a movie that I'm going to remember. That's fair. Yeah. I hated this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. Anything else? Wash your hands, man. Yeah. And I stay away from my meteorist. Bye. Exactly. <laughs>